What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another weekly episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and with me today is my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And we're chugging on today with Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. We're going into part three now. So, Drew, hit us with a recap. Yeah, and so I'm going to apologize right now in case I forget anything. <laughs> because this uh, this week's reading was very uh, haphazard for me, where I spent a lot of the week on other things. And then I crammed, like, the last 250 pages of it today. So, like... So it should be fresh. If I remember correctly, <laughs> if I remember correctly, where we started was uh, with the second set of interludes uh, with Risen, Axes, and uh, another Zeph interlude. Mm. Uh, Risen is a Thalen apprentice merchant who is uh, in Shinovar with her master, learning a valuable lesson about... Um, you know, how to interact with other cultures and, and how to change her kind of psychology to be a more insightful merchant. And then Axes the Collector is a Saya Aemian, a non-human kind of creepy dude who is trying to study Spren and, and catalog as many different types of Spren as he can. And uh, he is he's way out like northwest uh, checking out a Spren called... Uh, Kusikish, I, I, I said never know like Kusikish. Yeah, Kusikish. Uh, That's never, how I pronounce it. In my my head canon. I never know whether to like make that a hard C or a, a soft C. Um, but it, this is a a very large spread that like comes out at the same time and like shifts through a bunch of faces and has this weird draining effect <laughs> on the people around. Absolute it. unit, one might say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he's like arrested at the end of it and he's like, okay, well, I guess I could try to find like captivity spren again, you know, and, uh, and then Zeth though is, uh, he's on a new, you know, a new mission, new master who's like using him to, to take over the criminal underground of this village. And he's assigned to go take down a rival like crime Lord. But when he gets there, the rival's already dead and there's a man waiting for him also with the head of his master and says here's your oath stone you're working for us now here's a list of many of the most powerful people in the world and you're gonna go kill them <laughs> so some crazy stuff in those interludes but no then stress. we get back to them to the main parts and once again we are with shalon and kaladin shalon is uh, now pretty firmly, you know, uh, Yasna's ward, she's, she's studying, you know, all this history and philosophy and, and logic and things like that, uh, while struggling with the idea of whether, you know, she can really go through with stealing Yasna's soulcaster. But the tipping point comes when Yasna decides to teach her a, a lesson in object morality and uh, walks them into a darkened alley in a bad part of town and some footpads show up to try to kill them and rob them. And Yasna uses her soul casting to just absolutely wreck the guys. Kills all three of them, you know, and and uh, and then calmly returns back to the palace and and uh, asks Shalon. She's like, "So, what do you think about that?" And and Shalon is so angry that she takes the opportunity to finally steal Yasna's soul caster. And, uh, and, and for the rest of this part, Shalon is nervous that 
Yasna's going to find out, uh, but she's trying to figure out how to use it. And finally reaches a point where she's like, okay, I need to return home, uh, but accidentally soul casts and in the process of it makes a bunch of blood and to hide the fact that she soul cast it she cuts herself she's brought into the hospital and Cobsol, the the friendly flirty ardent who's been hanging around uh shallan shows up uh, with some more jam and bread and it turns out he's been poisoning the bread all along and putting the antidote in the jam trying to get yasna to eat the bread but not the jam but yasna the jam turned it into like vinegar and uh so Shalon we don't know that yet drew you're gonna have to censor that for the oh, episode it's, it's that's it's not like revealed right at the very very end when shallan yeah. confronts yasna at the end of the book no, shallan tastes it it's vinegar she oh yeah but like, we don't know what smells happened. it oh, well anyway um Shalon gets poisoned, Kabsal gets poisoned, Kabsal dies, but Yasna soul casts Shalon's blood to save her. But in so doing, Shalon panics because Yasna has a broken soul caster, and she reveals in her dying moments that she stole it. Yasna, you know, does save her despite that, and then uh, while Shalon is recovering, Yasna comes by and basically says, you're done, get out of here, you know game's over so that's where we're left off with Shallan with Kaladin meanwhile he is working you know he's finally gotten bridge forward to where they have this camaraderie they're having their nightly uh, you know stews with rock and, and they're, they're all kind of getting to know each other and become friends and work together as a team and Kaladin decides you know what we're gonna we're gonna try to use the bridge as a shield and he teaches them how to do a side carry but when they use it in battle it totally wrecks the strategy a bunch of Sadius' soldier, soldiers die, and Sadius decides uh, Kaladin is, is... It's time for him to face his judgment. He's strung up in a high storm, but Kaladin survives somehow. And over the course of his recovery, Teft brings in some spheres, gives them to Kaladin while he's uh, unconscious, and Kaladin sucks in the stormlight, and it heals his wounds. So Kaladin survives, and... That doesn't make things any better. They are uh, given new permanent chasm duty because Kaladin is too much of an issue. And uh, yeah, and, and we're left at the end here where Kaladin goes back to being the wretch until he's, he's given the immortal words. Life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. And he decides, you know what? I'm gonna try again. I'm going to try to teach them how to use the spear and try to escape. So that's where we're left off with Kaladin at the end of this part. Mm. <laughs> I'm actually still impressed that you managed to keep that under 10 minutes because of how much is happening in yeah. part three of well, this book. I think this is the longest part in the book. Part four may be longer, but I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's I mean, jump right we, in this we read about 300 pages in part three and part four. Yeah, part four is uh, about, oh, only about 150. Oh. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Things oh, are really no, kicking 250. up. Then. 250. Okay, that sounds a little better. Yeah, I was, I was a little confused there, yeah. I'm not going to lie. But, uh, I mean, anything style you want to discuss? Because, I mean, nothing for me today. 
so I I do want to discuss style because, uh, but it's it's more big picture style here. We are uh, by parts we're sixty percent of the way through the book, although by pure like page count we're we're closer to seventy five percent of the way through the book. I mean, just looking my my little ebook here. This book is about 1,050 pages, and where we left off here is page 758. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're, yeah, we're a little more than three quarters of the way through the book, and we haven't hit a, a real rising action yet. We're still in exposition. We're still in, in uh, you know, d- development. We're, we're not approaching a climax. Um, we, we got a little bit of one with Shalon here. But, you know, you can, you can kind of tell her story isn't over, that there's more to come with her. And we haven't, we haven't had any kind of a, a real climax with Kaladin. Well, I would so, say that near the end, we, we've got a little, ho- a little note of hope there in that, okay, that's it. We're going to have to fight our way out. That's the only option we have. I mean, that's literally how we leave Kaladin. So I suppose that you could kind of argue that that's setting it up for our, at least setting it up for the rising action. Well, so that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're still in the... the the exposition part of the story. We haven't oh. reached a climax, even though we're 75% of the way through. Oh, okay. When we're looking Never at yeah. Brandon Sanderson books, uh, you know, we've covered things like Skyward and, and Reckoners and uh, Mistborn. Um, a lot of his books at this point, we would already be in the Sanderson avalanche right now. You know, we'd, we'd be having some major action going down. We'd be having... Uh, uh, big revelations the at the 75 percent point oh, oh yeah uh think back to think back to especially the final empire and well of ascension how how dramatic like well of ascension we talked about almost at the 50 percent mark it just took off look yeah yeah i, I don't want to go into to spoilers but the way of kings has a um a, a kind of a narrative Progression a lot more similar to Elantris than something like Warbreaker or Mistborn, you know, or uh, the Reckoners or things like that. And I'm I'm not entirely sure if it's a bad thing because this is such an expansive world and it's such a crazy big uh, you know story that he's building that it makes sense that he needs more room to establish that foundation before he can really get into the 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 crazy action fun stuff uh but i just thought it was it was interesting to consider how even though this it's sort of you could call it an early sanderson work but the guy had published what six seven eight books by this point i mean he'd he'd published all three of mistborn era one he'd published elantris he'd published uh, War Warbreaker Breaker. was in 09, yeah? Yeah, he, he had published... Um, one Wheel of Time book and had written the two. The Gathering Storm. I think he had done one or two Alcatraz books at that point. Oh, yeah, Rhythmatist. Um, I forgot about Rhythmatist. that. Rhythmatist, yeah. So, it's not the the same kind of Sanderson that we were talking about and criticizing for his narrative pacing when we were discussing Elantris, for instance. He This is a more experienced writer. But yet he chose to give this book a narrative arc closer to the, that, that first published book, Elantris. 
than what he had been more recently doing with Miss Barnera One and and the Wheel of Time and and things like that. So, yeah, I I I don't know if I have any like super insightful like grand answers to this, but I feel like it it simply is the world is so big, the story is so expansive. He had to structure it like this, or the book yeah. wouldn't have worked. I, w- I would agree a hundred and ten percent. I mean, it, it seems to me just the natural uh, outcome of a book that is that that demands this much build up for you to understand quite everything that's happening at the end. But also the fact that the the human attention span you don't want a two hundred page for a, for a book like this. Uh, like if it was to be proportionally the same as like something like The Well of Ascension or Mistborn: The Final Empire, you're, you'd be talking about a three hundred page climax that's just you, nobody nobody can keep their attention for that long like i mean even the end of actually well. no, i'm not going to say that well okay <laughs> sorry i don't want to say you can't keep their attention that long but i don't i wouldn't see it as very wise because so many people would just be like so many kids would not be going to school the next day because they're reading until 5 a.m you know what i'm talking about unless you're you know, not like me but well I mean, we'll we'll talk about that on some later. It just seems unwieldy when we get down the yeah. road. But, the, but yeah, for the, a first book in a series, especially, uh, I think you're right. Uh, it it would be a pretty tall ask. I mean, this book is already such a tall ask of readers. Yeah, we we covered it on the the first episode. Yeah, how, we did. How much of a, a a learning curve there is with this world and how how demanding Brandon is asking the readers to trust him with what he's doing in the Stormlight Archive. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Sweet. So, but, but that was I'm my ready only to style point. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about characters, and I want to start with Shallan this week. Okay, cool. So, Shallan in Part 3 of The Way of Kings is, I think, my favorite Shallan in the entirety of the Stormlight Archive. And, of course... You know, by that I mean my favorite Shallan in books one through three as the recording of this podcast. There's something about this place or this chapter in Shallan's life that I find myself, I find it very engaging. I love her witty banter with Yasna. And I, I mean, I just, well, I just love Yasna, right? But there's also <laughs> a lot happening in the meta. Like you'd think that Shallan's viewpoints would read maybe a little, I don't know, steadier now that she's found herself the job. Or in the job, I should say. She's settled more into Carbranth and the schedule and the studies that she's got. But that's not the case here. Underneath all of this enjoyment on the surface, you know, for browsing through the Palinaeum, discussions with Capsule, excellent debates with Yasna, there's still this simmering dread, this expectation, like her mission to steal the Soulcaster. She's talking to her brothers again, and she's learning that things are kind of getting a little out of hand back in Yakovet. Her deadline is looming, and this... And maybe I suppose this next point might have been better served in our style discussion, perhaps, I guess. But how Brandon managed to place us in such a safe space here, but then just completely ruin ours and Shallan's ability to properly appreciate it because we're, we have this dread that looms. I just thought it was it was it was awesome. And I hate I hate using such a basic word as awesome. But I, in this case, I mean it literally. I'm talking denotative, not connotative. <laughs> it's awesome awe-inspiring the, the the dude's improved so much already since his since his excellent starting years you know yeah the the thing that stood out to me the most with shallan in this is how well brandon layers conflicts for her so that she can see progression f- through part one and and now in part three 
where we feel like she's growing as a character, but she's still got problems. And 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 he he does a good job of kind of building them in a staggered way so that uh she has like one problem and as she's approaching the point where she's going to overcome that problem a new problem starts rising behind it and then she figures out that first problem problem a is is good you know and now she has problem b to deal with and then when she's starting to figure out how to deal with problem b problem c starts building in the background and so he has this very smooth building of tension throughout her points of view to the point where we're left at after you know uh part three where, where she seems utterly defeated you know where it seemed like she was succeeding and then everything was ripped out from underneath her because of things that had been uh you know previously established in the background and then reared their heads right it's, yeah. it's really, really good writing. And mm. it makes Shalon a fascinating character to read. And I think I agree with you. I think part three Shalon and the Way of Kings is my favorite single part of her story in any one of these oh, books. I wasn't expecting you to agree with that part. Yeah. Uh, I When I first read the Way of Kings, I did not particularly like Shalon. But every time I have reread it, uh, she has grown on me more and more. To the point now where I... I mean... There are so many scenes in this part that I absolutely love going back to, to reread character moments for her, like her decision to finally betray Yasna and steal the Soulcaster. Um, yeah. Like her, uh, still one of the best scenes Brandon Sanderson has ever written with the cryptics, you know, these, these mysterious alien creatures invisible to her, but she can draw them she she has memories of them you know chasing her and she's running down the hall and pausing to sketch and they're still there and she runs into her rooms and she sketches and they're right there and she reaches out into empty space and feels something terrifying it's so well done you know i i love reading these scenes love reading these scenes <laughs> i'm glad you brought those those particular scenes up uh hopping back just a couple minutes there though i first want to talk about the scene where she does decide to steal the fabriel and i wanted to say that i appreciate the fact that brandon still found a way for shallan to steal said fabriel and still allow her into a small extent you know the reader to feel a bit of justification if you buy into this sort of this this ethic about morality you know like in, in one sense we finally get a bit of danger and excitement out of a Shallan viewpoint because that's been pretty slow in that regard up until now. We get another, also another display of Fabriel magic. We have we get to see Yasna's attitude on full display uh -huh. and and a potential you know a potential salve to our our guilt about taking the Soulcaster away from her. Depending on how you feel about that, Shallan is incredibly affected by this encounter. She's she's hugely affected by this encounter, but she yes. uses it to make a decision. And so for me, she still shines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's the way uh, he he I mean Brandon uh, effectively uses Shalon. Uh, she's a fairly passive character, kind of just by her nature, but yet he does a good job of letting her make decisions and act with agency, despite being shy and overwhelmed in a new life situation. Uh, and and that makes her you know 
at a baseline, a well-written character. Yeah, and, and going on with, with the other scene that you mentioned, this spook factor that we have here coming from Shallan's viewpoints. Oh my god, like these, these creatures that are appearing in her drawings that seem invisible to her, but they're following her. Like, I'll admit, this scene where she is alone in the room and she hears that whisper, what are you? That is so creepy oh, that it still yes. gives me oh. goosebumps. And just out of curiosity, I need to ask at this point, have you at any point heard the audiobooks for Stormlight? Um, no. The The short answer is no. I've heard tiny little snippets here and there, uh, but I have never listened to them okay. on audio. Because I want to draw a point here and, and hang it... Uh, or hang it, I wrote down hang it here too. I want to hang it to Kate Redding. I'm going to hand it to Kate Redding for this scene here. <laughs> the delivery of that whisper, when you're in a metal shop and you, like me, and your ear, your in-ear buds are cranked right up to drown everything else out, that whisper hits your soul and it freezes Ooh. it. It is unbelievable delivery. 10 out of 10 narrating in that moment. I have to give that to Kate Redding. Phenomenal. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, someday, someday I'll, I'll actually... <laughs> someday you'll need to do it, yeah. There, There's so many books that you come in and you're raving about the, the audio delivery, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I'll i at least need to check out some specific scenes, if not uh, do a full audio book on... Yeah. There will come a day when you find something that you're doing for hours and hours on end, and instead of music, I'm going to listen to some Stormlight, you know? Oh, so... That was my, my job for two years. I, I was commuting for three hours a day, but I turned to podcasts. I, you know, I was listening to uh, gotcha. um, a couple like beer podcasts and, and uh, hockey podcasts and things like that uh, because I would just get frustrated listening to audiobooks. But, yeah? Yeah, they, they just move too slowly, and I hate speeding it up because then it ruins the, the cadence and, and like, sure. you know. That's fair. That's the that, of the words. That's absolutely so. fair, especially when you're so used to reading it at a certain rhythm and with a certain uh, focus, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, to, to wrap up on Shalon here, just one tiny little point. It's, you know, um, something maybe I should have put in my miscellaneous points, but I have so many miscellaneous points as it is already. Um, <laughs> it's a detail that I passed over for the first two or three reads, but then I picked up on for each of like the ten or twenty rereads afterwards. As Shalon is researching the Soulcaster she discovers a little tidbit that supposedly claims that humming of all things is supposed yes. to make it work or more efficient or something like that. I, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't actually reread this chapter for today's discussion. This is not one of the chapters I reread. I actually reread it in a pretty broken format back and forth. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's that little detail there. I'm just drawing that point. Yes, there, that... I uh, I highlighted that myself when I was <laughs> doing my reread. I'm ready to talk about Kaladin Stormblast. All right, let's do it. I okay. don't have as much to talk about with Kaladin, I'll be honest. Okay. Yeah, all right. I mean, I, I have about the same. It's still not going to be a very long discussion. Uh, Kaladin, I mean, what can I say about this guy's journey at the end of Part 3 here? Or by the end of Part 3, I should say. Like, this is epic fantasy this is why we spend money we spend time and we discuss these for so long this is why we push books on our friends our family our colleagues kaladin attempting to save the bridgeman everything collapsing like his absolute refusal to just quit are so just awe-inspiring um his sentence you know of death his experience in the high storm is just 
I, I, don't, I don't think I can properly articulate how much this portion of The Way of Kings, part three here, and this, these particular few scenes, it changed my life and how I view epic fantasy. Drew, in, in part one, you drew a quick point. <laughs> Drew, you drew a quick point. Um... <laughs> About how you don't think, and I and I know this because I, I just listened to that for the censor list, you don't think you've ever seen something quite like the Stormlight Archive in that it's just so perfectly steered at everything that Rob Santos finds cool. And you're yeah. <laughs> totally right about that. I struggled <laughs> myself to, to explain it at that point, and I'm still, I mean, I'm still going to be trying, but th- like this is what I meant when I said it's going to be hard for me to approach this book critically objectively just because i'm so invested with the story it's scenes like this in chapter 35 you know when he's strung up in the high storm and chapter but we'll bleep that number out in case that's interpreted as a spoiler i guess but these scenes are what make me confident that the stormlight archive is going to be brace yourselves for it even better than the wheel of time i said it. yeah i mean do you um, want to be a miracle no but for them I will be. Just, ah, uh, so good. Yeah, dialing it it back to to your your statement about the Stormlight Archive being better than the Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. I, if if Brandon Sanderson can stick the landing, there's a no doubt in my mind, uh, and I have every confidence that he will. Uh, he's he's done very well with endings up to this point, including with the Wheel of Time. And, yep. uh, you know, and, and while sure, you know, the, the broad strokes of the Wheel of Time story, they were dictated, the actual ending was written by Robert Jordan, whatever. Brandon Sanderson can write a damn good ending. And Amen. this book proves he can write a damn good beginning, too. Preach. And as we will discuss over the next, you know, four, four-ish, yeah, four months, um, he can also write a damn good second and third book. <laughs> and fourth book but uh i mean he's he's got something really really special going on with the stormlight archive it, it is it is unquestionably a... man yeah um this moment when tn's name is called for drafting into amaram's army that right there that's the moment i fell in love with kaladin as a person as a righteous righteous person if my own little brother, and I do have one picturing him right now, if something like that ever happened in our lives, if we found ourselves somehow unfortunate enough to be in a position like that, or even remotely similar, I'd have done exactly this. I'd have done it even quicker than he did. And anybody who knows what it is to have a younger, vulnerable sibling, or especially you have a child, can appreciate what I'm talking about. There is nothing under God that would be able to stand in between me and protecting my little brother or my sisters. This moment moved me in a way that I so rarely find, like, even among incredible authors, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm actually curious to see, uh, you know, maybe we can get some of our listeners to comment when uh, this episode goes up. Um, I have never had the love for Tien or been as invested in the Kaladin-Tien relationship that we're given in the flashbacks here. Um... But that may be because I am the younger brother. I am the youngest of six kids. I I never had younger siblings. I never felt that sort of like um, dynamic mm. that Kaladin and Tian have here. Uh, and and I'll be honest, like the flashbacks in this book, eh? 
Really? Uh, I don't I don't particularly enjoy reading them. Oh my um, god. Even though, you know, uh, up to this point on the podcast, you know, regular listeners will know, I tend to to go for more of those like strong character moments over the big flashy action scenes. I can enjoy a big flashy action scene for sure, but they don't tend to be my favorites. You know, you know but in in the series of Kaladin flashbacks that we get here, my favorite flashback scene of the whole one is the second to last one where Kaladin kills the shard bearer. Like it, it, it's the only one where I I like really feel hooked by what Brandon Sanderson is writing. Part of it is I don't particularly like Liren as a character. Okay. I and then and then another part of it is that I don't like I just I just don't have that draw to TN. Like I guess he's cute, but but I I don't you know as a I don't have now that, that you mentioned him. I think it's also pretty interesting to to note that I think <clears throat> I think Sanderson also is a younger sibling. He's not an older sibling. I don't think he has younger siblings, but I don't don't quote me on that. I, I should have. Uh, I mean, he does. He's gonna say uh, he yeah, does have a younger he sibling. He has a younger sister. I can't remember if his brother is younger than he is. Either way, he has children too, so he knows what it is to. To, yes. to fear for the life of somebody younger and more vulnerable who looks up to you for protection. I mean, there's there's nothing, there's no there's no words to describe the kind of righteous wrath that the human being is capable of in terms mm-hmm. of trying to protect somebody that they find vulnerable and counts on them. It's he he is the oldest in his family. He has one younger brother and two younger. What? Brothers. I thought his I thought his brother at least was the older. Okay, wow, still learning about Sanderson today. Yeah, I know. Um, see here. Oh, a uh, question about Kaladin. Question, Drew. And this, feel free, you'll probably give this a raffle, or uh, if we know anything at all. Um, it's probably a spoiler. This, I guess, uh, was what I'm trying to get at there. But what is going on here with Kaladin being able to experience the vision from the Stormfather? Riding the winds? Like, he, he outright, he sees Zeth, and even more eerie, Zeth appears to be able to see him. I have absolutely no explanation for this, even after yeah. reading up to through the end of book three. Is this something we have answers on, and, and I assume, are they spoilery? So, I, I thought about that this time through. Um, the thing that stood out to me this time was how he was trying to walk out into the high storm. Yeah, as if he was possessed uh, or something. It, it seemed to me that he was experiencing something closer to what Dalinar was getting. Yes, exactly, which is why I'm so confused. And, and so my theory on this is that it... Oh, you know what? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that because... Uh, we'll save I, it for the, the Cosmere discussion. I um, think I we'll might know this. what you're about to say, actually. Shit. We'll we'll revisit this once we get to our spoiler discussion. I'm totally uh, gonna forget, so I'm leaving same. it on you to remember that. Okay. Okay. Um, but, let's uh, see here. Yeah. Yeah. What? Go ahead. No, I, I was just I, I'm done on on that topic. Oh, you're done on um, on Kaladin. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, we found out that found out that Kaladin killed a storming shard bearer. That was freaking cool. Um, Yes. But I wanted to just draw again a point on this bummer of an ending for, for both of our main point characters that we got. Like, you know, Shalon poisoned, her love interest dead, her secrets revealed. Oh, you know what? We don't quite rightly know that Capsule is dead. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. We might censor that. Uh, no, uh, Yasna, Yasna said Oh, that's that. right, because Yasna still t- has her little confrontation. At the, you're right, you're absolutely Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, 
Speaking of Yasna, she's on to Shalon now. She knows what Shalon was doing. She knows that Shalon stole her, her Fabrio. And Shalon mm-hmm. has lost her job, her future, nearly her freedom. You know, And then, of course, with Kaladin, even though it's a distant flashback, losing his shards and his men. And then we find out what a traitorous Kremlin. And that's, believe me, not the word I wanted to use there, but I was in uh, <laughs> I was too far into, the, into Roshar to use anything else. What a jerk Meredith Amra- Amram oh, yeah, really yeah. is. A jerk is no... I, yeah, I want to take that word back, not because he's not one, but because it's nowhere near potent enough. Well, so uh, on that topic of, of Kaladin's... The, the conclusion of Kaladin's flashback sequence here... Yeah, um, for now. It is interesting to me how that is such a formative part of Kaladin's character... And in the original version of The Way of Kings, Kaladin, or Marin, as he was called... Yep, yep, I forgot about this, yep. ...took up the shards. He, he killed a shard bearer, and he accepted them, and became a shard bearer. And how that uh, that decision... Brandon Sanderson has kind of, you know, given some talks over the years about this. And he said that decision was one of the main reasons why the original The Way of Kings Prime wasn't working. And it wasn't until he changed Kaladin's decision to reject the shards that Kaladin's character became a working, vibrant, dynamic character. I can see that. Like I, I can't even be. I can't see myself even being remotely as invested in Kaladin's character. Uh, like if he had, if he had started this off as a shard bear, or at least if he had lost his shards, but he had accepted those. You know. Yeah. 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 That's the end of my. Uh, character points you know i had <laughs> i had written some about yasna but i decided that i decided you know what you remember earlier when i admitted i was having difficulty treating the stormlight archive objectively <laughs> i'm going to take that a step further here i'm just not going to talk about yasna today I, i'm just today specifically i'm, I'm not even going to be able to pretend to be able to discuss yasna objectively no nope. oh, no no no, here, we're, we're going to have one Yasna discussion, because ah, I, I have this point. I don't trust my own self to be objective about Yasna. Shalon came to her conclusion on the lesson. Yes. What do you think about that? Okay, lesson? I was wondering if I was going to... Ah, I just touched my glasses. Damn, that's going to piss me off for the next hour. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if I was going to have time to bring this up today, because this could be a two-minute discussion or a two-hour discussion. I fully believe in what Yasna did. I back Yasna up. I think what she did was... Abhor- uh, it was. I was going to say abhorrent. No, it's not. Um, that's actually the opposite of what I was going to say. What she did was justified, especially when you use it to when you use it to protect others in in an indirect way, even as she does here, because she's right. Those men are not going to be around to potentially murder and rape other people. You know. She took it in her upon herself to be the judge, jury, and executioner. And by my morality, I think, having only given this a few minutes of thought, I think by my current moral standards, I don't see too much of a problem with it. Of course, I suppose that could be uh, inferred by the fact that I'm such a Yasna fanboy as it is, as I just said. So I wouldn't be such a big fanboy if I found this particular action of hers to be uh, unjustified or, as I almost said it earlier, abhorrent. What about you? So I... I'm going to guess you have a problem with it. I do have a problem with it. Okay. Um, uh, I think it's a situation in which all parties involved were in the wrong here. Um, mm-hmm. Oh. Very mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. you cannot absolve the footpads of their responsibility in in choosing to try to 
kill, rob, perhaps more, to seemingly defenseless women. Uh, you know, they... Yasna is given... Uh, in my opinion, she has the right to self-defense. But I don't think I would describe this as self-defense. Uh, this she went out looking for it, to me, Yeah, this feels to me like booby-trapping. Like luring and in, in order to kill somebody. She, when she stepped out, God, what's the word? she knew. Oh, she cool. was like, I am going to purposely bait people into a position where I can kill them. And that, to me, is... That's getting pretty squicky, morally. Um, what is the word? It starts with an E. It's a perfect word for this and how I feel about it. What the hell is it? It's 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 the Sean Connery movie. And he, I think it's a Sean Connery movie. It's the, it also has the same title where it's about... I'm not going to go into that. But damn it, there's a frick entrapment. Yeah, entrapment. Yeah. That's it. That's essentially what it is. Um, Mid-sentence, I remembered what and it was. So, while while the footpads are absolutely in the wrong here, it's it's this isn't some like y'all you know, uh, victim blaming. Oh, Shal- uh, you know, Shalon and Yasna asked for it kind of thing. Um, although in a way, Yasna literally did ask for it. But but a, that's a separate thing. That was no. More she asked, asked them to play their hand, to show how way. nasty they were. That's all she. Yeah, asked. like she was she was being a predator in this situation, not being a victim. But I also um, think she was protecting others. I mean, I, I, we can be pretty certain that these guys would have gone on to either rape and or kill, especially so, rob other people. Robbing doesn't deserve death. It does not deserve death. But she makes a damn good uh, logical point that these men were not probably not just going to rob them. So, and, and here's an important distinction, though. They were probably not going to rob, just rob Shalon and Yasna. But Shalon and Yasna are uniquely wealthy important characters like what are the chances that another defenseless woman of high status covered in riches is going to walk down that alley you know these guys probably need to be weren't out or uh, these guys probably weren't out just murdering everybody they were robbing because most of the people they were robbing yasna makes the point she's like uh, that's a good they point. have okay. to kill us because they can't allow two rich light eyes to get away as witnesses but they could probably allow someone of yeah. much lower so stature like, yasna gives a lot of arguments defending what she does here but a lot of them when you dig in are on pretty flimsy ground um i'll admit uh, that i still i'm still with her but i can admit that you have a very valid point yeah like she i'm, I'm not gonna say she was like outright evil and and you know what she did was absolutely wrong but i do think it is a problematic action that she took uh and and she demonstrated her lesson in the most brutal direct way possible she could have done it without killing them she could have used her fabriel to you know turn the air around them into you know whatever stone or something and box them in and have them arrested you know she could have done a lot of other things than just brutally kill them and so she was she was absolutely using it as a way to shock shalon but i don't think that's justification for what she did even if she managed to save one life. But then again, that's very that's a very circumstantial argument. I get that. But yeah. I, I honestly think if she managed to save one life and all the signs point to that she at least saved one more life or perhaps saved somebody else from being raped, 
then I th I think it's I think it's justified. I mean, I, I as long as but then again you can't <laughs> you can't prove that she protected <laughs> anyone else. You can't prove that those guys were going to go on and do that to anybody else. It's, there are a lot. There's a lot to be said. I'm, I'm glad and that it, it, it could have very easily been a situation where she she had done something else with the soulcaster and these guys then turned around and were like, holy crap, what am I doing? And reformed themselves. You know, like, they're... Guessing the future to justify actions is very shaky ground. Well, I mean, they were all... that. This is completely beside whether or not you believe that somebody should be uh, tried and executed for the intent to murder and rape in the first place, as they already clearly were in this scene. Right. So, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm it's, with Yasna. I'm Team Yasna on this one. So, I'm, I'm more Team Shalon. I, I think, oh, hey, um, it, that too. And I'm glad that she gave it a lot of due thought. It took her, what, like two weeks yeah. to I come to I her conclusions? I fully agree with Shalon's conclusion. Um, I, I think she was a little too lenient toward Yasna. But I, I do appreciate how she recognized it wasn't a cut and dry thing. Um, and I also want to like pull it back to the author level. Such a clever situation that Brandon came up yes. with to teach his character a lesson. Yes. Yeah. This uh, now we're digging into something that I had I had written down before I erased it when I decided to say you know what just put one point and say I don't trust myself to talk about Yasna today. <laughs> but before then I had written down some exactly about this about how clever it was for Sanderson to uh, you know you, to, to, he did so many things in this scene and it just. It pays off going forward still in the rest of the book. I do I do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So, are we but, done with characters? Uh, yes, other than one very quick thing. Sure. I love Risen. Risen's great. I, I, I was wondering if you were going to say something like that. I couldn't remember. I, I could have sworn. I was thinking that. I was like, I could have sworn Drew said he was a big Risen fan. But then yeah. I was like... Maybe I'm confusing Risen with Chrysala. And I was like, no, he's a way bigger Chrysala fan. Yeah, yeah, mind. Chris is like one of my favorite characters ever. No, uh, <laughs> I do like Risen quite a lot. Uh, I just don't have a whole ton to say about her interlude in this book. Um, I'll have more to say about her in, in subsequent books. So. Okay. So yeah. now let's talk for an hour about my miscellaneous and Cosmere points because, oh my god, I'm looking at it right now. I think I wrote 2,000 words for yeah, my points here. So so yeah, for, for any of our yeah. listeners who would prefer to remain unspoiled about Cosmere connections in the Stormlight Archive, uh, whether you uh, want to find them yourself or if you haven't read other books, uh, you know now is your warning. We are about to get down and dirty. Yeah, just make sure you've read every <laughs> deep and penetrative lore with Drew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Just make sure. Basically, just make sure you've read everything currently published up through you know 2020. All right. No, because technically, Rhythm of War is 2020 as well. And Dawn Shard. <laughs> oh God! I still need to get my hands on that too. Yeah. No. Okay. Um. But yeah. Spoilers for everything Sanderson inbound. This is your warning. You've had it. Now, I get to talk about something, Drew. I get to talk about something that I've been waiting since literally episode two of the Inking Out Loud podcast um, to discuss our, our chapter with Kaladin strung up and facing the high storm. That is chapter 35, and that is called yeah. A Light by Which to See. 
Mm-hmm. Now, this is mostly symbolic, as Kaladin has the sphere, but he's also got Syl standing over him and doing her best to shelter him from these ravaging winds. And we've heard, of course, the origin of that chapter name by now. I, I think it was Teft when he gave Kaladin a, the, the sphere in the, in the first place, and Kaladin's thinking, carry a sphere with you into the storm, the old mm-hmm. saying goes, and at least you'll have a light by which to see. Now, let's back up. Over a year before the publishing of this book, and almost two years of podcast recording with Drew, to our episodes on Warbreaker. Our pilot episode in episode two. Somewhere in episode two, Those I'm were sure a was it. Oh, God. Episode seven and eight. Episode seven <laughs> and eight. Good call. Okay. Thank you, Drew. Now, now I'm like, all right, because you were talking about episodes like. One and two, One and, two and you were thinking Elantris. Oh my god, I forgot that this? we <laughs> I forgot that we had started with Elantris, but now you know exactly where I'm going. Um, I had made mention of something in either episode seven or eight that I said I, I wanted to talk about, but I wouldn't be able to talk about for months or years. That day is today. Come with me, fantasy nerds. Let's journey <laughs> briefly back into Warbreaker, chapter 30. As Lightsong and Blushweaver are speaking with the other returned, Hopefinder... Blushweaver manages to finagle the security. Well, she doesn't really. There's not much finagling about it. He just outright gives them to her. He was planning on doing it anyway, I think. Hopefinder's lifeless command is given to Blushweaver. And he opens his mouth in the words that follow for a command for the, a quarter of the Holandran army. This command is a candle by which to see. Now, putting aside the fact that both candles and spheres are used on their object, on their respective worlds, as you know, illumination tool, uh, tools for illumination, uh, the the phrase itself is already so close as to be incredibly suspicious, in my opinion. On Roshar, carry a sphere, and you'll have a light by which to sphe- to see. On Nothis, you'll have a candle, or just it's, it's just a candle by which to see. We know there's a lot of crossover between Nothis and Roshar. We have the letter Shash. We have plenty of uh, words. Shash of- is a coincidence. Shash, what? I'm learning this now. Shash is a coincidence. Yeah, I think I brought this up on the Warbreaker episodes too. People, people but we couldn't have been talking about, about this it. on the uh, Warbreaker episodes because I would have spoiled this for Stormlight, right? Well, no, we we had a Cosmere section. Oh, we had a Cosmere discussion by that point. We were already having our Cosmere discussions by episode seven. Yeah, because of the. Oh wow! Because of the okay. crossovers from Warbreaker. All right, but no, well played. Uh, here, I'll, I'll pull. I'll pull up the. Uh, I mean, I believe you. Um, I, I don't remember the exact wording. But the uh, the the gist, okay, yeah. So the, the fact that it was Bachelor's at the Skyward Shala- release party, and the question was: both languages described in Warbreaker and the Stormlight Archive contain a letter or glyph called Shash. Is that a coincidence of both languages originating from a common root language on Yolan, or is there something more complicated going on? And Brandon replied, "Less complicated." Less complicated. Uh, and then. And then uh, another question, general Twitter. Rereading Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson, I had my mind blown by seeing the word shush. I hadn't remembered that by the time I read The Way of Kings. And Peter Alstrom replied and said, that's actually just a coincidence, a convergence of phonology. Okay. All right. Well, there there are still a lot of, putting that aside, there's still lots of words of Brandon that prove there are definitely hints of cultural overlap between these worlds, these two worlds in particular. Um, I mean, yes. hell, <laughs> look at the look at part four of Oathbringer, when Kaladin finds this very suspicious painting in the Spren city. Um, this, I mean, this this right here, a candle by which to see, a light by which to see. It, this, I think, this is another one 
I think this is another one. It's And it's probably just an Easter egg. I don't think there's anything deeper to be drawn by the fact that, okay, there's a common saying that rings very similar. I'm sure they're not even speaking the same language. But that's all. I just wanted to talk about this really quickly and point out that little coincidence. Yeah, I've, I've never picked up on that before. Um, Sweet. Once you started talking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because I'm pretty I, sure I've I mentioned this. Never... We've talked about this over chat in the past, but... Hmm. I, if we have, I don't remember it. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that is a good good pickup there. Thank you. Great Thank chapter you. though. Oh my gosh, such a good oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you were talking about Rissen. Let's talk a little bit more about that interlude, real quick. I just want to talk about Shinovar. What the hell is going on with Shinovar? It's so alien. It's like cultivation wanted to segregate a whole portion of humanity to live as I assume maybe humans in her own time, kind of. In, in so our own planet lived, we, maybe? I don't we know. We don't know yet. You know, I, I, I have a feeling this isn't going to be something explored, like, till the back half of the Stormlight Archive. Really? Maybe, like, in, in the, like, Talon or Shalash flashbacks. Like, we don't really know yet how humanity traveled from Ashen to Roshar, but we do have word of Brandon that his current plan for it is that it, they use the spiritual realm, not the cognitive realm. Or the physical realm. So anybody out there who's like, oh, Earth, here's a spaceship. No, that's been shot down. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But my working theory on this is that they managed to create some sort of connection, capital C, spiritual connection, through the spiritual realm, and literally transplanted a chunk of ashen onto Roshar. That'd be and cool. that's why it has completely different ecology. That'd be so damn cool. That'd be, I mean, we uh, we know and that there was world-ending power involved. Doesn't have Spren the same way. Doesn't have Spren the same way because it doesn't have connection to the world. Sure. The Spren aren't going to be drawn to it. Like, I think oh, I think we're looking at an area that just like is literally a a part of a different planet. Sitting it's basically on control the Z, control V, or control C, control V. What am I saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, I no. Mean, it, whether it was Control-C or Control-X, we don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It, it may have literally ripped a chunk out of Ashen. Oh, man. If we ended up ever actually... Or it may have actually... just, like, copied Ashen's spiritual identity and connected it to this area of Roshar. <laughs> I don't know. But that's my working theory on this. It's times like this that I regret the fact that we never ended up giving our, our episode titles, our episodes formal titles as well as numbers, because this one would totally be called <laughs> Control-Z or Control-X. Or control C or control X. <laughs> yeah, no, and since we're still talking about the Shin, I want to talk about Seth real quick, all right? Yeah. In this viewpoint he has with uh, Makek, Makek, I'm not sure how to pronounce his yeah, uh, temporary, how say it. Yeah, his temporary uh, uh, Old Stone Holder's name there. But I have a quote here. Makek had begun to believe those rumors. He hadn't yet demanded that Zeth relinquish his blade. If he did he would discover the second of Zeth's two forbidden actions. He was required to carry the blade until his death, at which point Stin, uh, Stin <laughs> Shin Stone Shamans would recover it from whomever had killed him. So, at the end of Words of Radiance, we see Nail give Nightblood to Zeth and mention something along the lines of the shamanate needing to be cleansed, or maybe his country needing to be cleansed. Going into Oathbringer, 
One of my biggest predictions, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was my most certain prediction. I was leaving no room for, for, for zero on this. I was saying this is happening in Oathbringer as we were going into it. I was, I was saying that we're going to see the rest of the surges. And this is going to be when suddenly eight surge binders wielding eight honor blades are going to show up and try to kill Kaladin and reclaim Yezrian's blade. Of course, and we, as we saw in that particular book, not a whisper from the leaders of the Shin. Not yet. And so I've been waiting since March of 2014 when Kaladin killed Zeth at the end of... Well, I should say killed because there's a whole thing there at the end of Words of Radiance for stone shamans to appear. And because it didn't happen in Oathbringer, I've been waiting six and a half years to see what these guys are all about. And I'm hoping that we're going to get that finally in Rhythm of War. And oh my God, Drew, what I would give to be able to read your mind right now. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you one bit of uh, what's gone through my mind. Oh? Only seven. Oh, because oh, okay, that's right. Back. One's gone missing again, right? Nail took his back, I think it was. And if you believe Teravangian, only six. Oh, because Teravangian has a little bit of um, uh, speculation regarding a certain event that, that I can't. Teravangian, I, I think it's in one of the uh, diagram bits where he he speculates that one of the honor blades has gone missing. Oh, I, w I would have thought that was when he was on to Zeth because he hadn't—they hadn't crafted a truthless yet. So I figured, oh wait, no, you're right. Then no, Zeth couldn't be truthless. Zeth. What am I saying? What am I saying? That makes no sense. Yeah, he knew no. about Zeth. Yeah, forget about that. I forget what I just he, said. And and Nail's honor blade can't be the one that went missing because Nail went back and got it a long time ago. Later. Yeah. Oh, a long like, time ago. Like, He's had his the whole yeah. time. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, oh, I'm I'm still learning, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Um, which I still want to, hmm. I want to know the timeline of events there. Like, oh, it just, ah, yeah, I, I, I get it. This is probably going to be like back five stormlight stuff. You know, when we get these flashbacks with Sh uh, Shalash and Taln and, and seeing what, what exactly the heralds were doing, but like, uh, oh, the heralds, what the hell? Yeah, oh, like to see about the stealing the honor blades, and then That's when right. Nalan decided, yeah. like, oh, actually, you know, I, I, I should keep that. Like, yeah, you know. I'm just, I'm gonna take that back if you don't mind. Yeah, I, and I, if you I do mind, know well, what tough. the hell happened there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, okay, so okay, well, we we need to discuss Kaladin riding the storm. Okay, all right, hit me with it. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. God, yeah. So it's got to be something with adhesion. Um, okay. Dalinar, Dalinar uses adhesion in, in a spiritual capital C connection. Yeah, yeah. And he literally rides the storm across uh, the continent, you know, and that's how he did like the, the like combo whatever thing with uh, Shalon. You know, he could do the map, right? So that, that reminds me of what Kaladin did here. Okay. And okay. Kaladin can also use adhesion. As a windrunner, that's one of the surges he has access to that share yeah. that he shares with the bondsmiths, right? Adhesion. Yes. And the fact that the Stormfather says, like, men no longer ride the storm, right? 
it's easy to take that in the sense of like, oh, there aren't wind runners literally riding the storms anymore. But this is in a very specific context here where Kaladin's like in a dream riding the storm. So there's, it, 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 I, I don't know, there, there's something going on there. And there's also the added twist of him calling Kaladin child of Tanavast. Which we also know from Brandon Sanderson, from you know, from Word of Brandon, that that has meaning. He wouldn't just call anybody Child of Tanavast. He's called other characters Child of Honor, but he's only called Kaladin Child of Tanavast. Huh. I was, so maybe okay. there's something wonky going on there to help it help it out, but but I think it's something to do with the adhesion search. I think I would I would chalk that last point up to the fact that the Stormfather, as far as I know, and I could be absolutely wrong. As far as I know, the Stormfather hasn't communicated with any human for a long time until he talked to Kaladin Stormblast. I think Kaladin was the first human he had contact with, and therefore the title Child of Tanavast, because, you know, mankind, kind of, in a weird way, a child of Tanavast. I, I, no, I just no, chalked no. it up to it's that. It's very specific to Kaladin. Yeah, child and of he, one long yeah, left of behind. Who's the one long been, left behind? He's been sending visions to, to Dalinar and to Gavilar before Dalinar. And the one long left behind, I mean, the one that comes to mind for me is Talonel, but that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think it's because Kaladin is bonded to Syl. Okay. The ancient daughter. The ancient daughter. Got you. Got you. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I, I'll admit that I don't really have any, I'm not equipped really to, con, to <laughs> con discuss this further. I mean, this is about everything I've considered about this. Granted, it's not a lot of time I've spent considering this. But uh, it, yeah, it occurred yeah. to me when I was listening to that chapter, so I wrote it down as a talking point. Um, I want to talk about Kusakesh, the protector. I have a theory about him, or him, it. Oh, yeah, okay. Let's, let's do it. All right, this is going to take a little while. This, uh, this is going to take me a couple minutes to explain, all right? And I looked up, I also want to yeah. point out that I've looked, I looked up precisely nothing about this particular spread before writing these notes. It's been, you know, it's been a couple years since I read this interlude, so forgive me, Drew, or others listening, if there have been any words of Brandon that, you know, since those past couple years have knocked down my thoughts here, but I've got a theory. Those faces, the hundreds or, or the thousands of faces that the Spren cycles through, gazing toward the origin, I think those are the faces that are currently gazing at Kusakesh, the protector. And if you think about it, and you'll see why that's a particularly ironic use of those three words, think about it here in a second. We know that the spren are formed as a manifestation of the thoughts of men given form by investiture. Spren, according to the copper mind, I wrote down the copper mind uh, denotation here, fragments of the powers of creation that have gained sentience through the influence of sapient beings on Roshar. Let me paint a scenario here for you. Say one day, there's, there's a crazy man who's actually crazy. He's not, you know, he's not corrupted by one shard or another. He claims he sees a beast in the harbor. Let's say he gathers a dozen witnesses who line up expecting to see something in particular, something spectacular. Say by sheer coincidence, a great shell or some other odd beast or phenomenon happens to be strolling or swimming by in that moment. What if word gets out and eventually Thousands upon thousands of people are flocking to this harbor, all expecting to see the same thing. Might not the creature that exists in the minds of the thousands that are expecting it lead to perhaps a cognitive expression in the physical realm? 
It's the repetitive nature of Kusakesh that makes me think this. Everything about its description from the exact same time every single morning, 7.46 a.m., it appears, to the fact that after centuries, the Iriali have erected platforms for each of its four feet to stand upon. Each and every one of these additional details feeds expectation, which in turn appears to validate itself when the Spren does exactly that. So... Every morning, the spren, the spren arrives at the exact same moment. Thousands of people are anticipating it in that moment, and it does so. So I'm proposing that it's it's fueled, if you will, by the expectations of everybody waiting. And that it may be taking on, in some weird way, their faces. That in there, if that was true, that might explain the phantom tiredness that Axes and everybody feels around him after witnessing the event. Because this spren... If, if I'm onto something, which I very well could not be in any way, this spread may be fueled in some super weird way by the thoughts of those who are standing there. I, I, I don't know. This That last part, I'll admit, seems flimsy. But we have words of Brandon that Kusakesh is not the sibling. So what's going on here? I chalk it up to some strange coincidence leading to mass cultural delusion, which on Roshar in particular ends up expressing itself with cognitive bleed-through and snowballing itself into the literal definition of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hmm. That's it. Interesting. I have never heard that kind of no? theory before. Is there, are there any words of Brandon you could think of that would poke holes or cannonball um, holes into it? Not off the top of my head. Hmm. I haven't okay. really... To be honest, I've never really, like, looked into... I mean, if Santa Claus existed on Roshar, I'm sure there would be a Santa Spren. One unique Spren, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. thinking the same thing's kind of happening here with the Iriali. There's thousands of people that are flocking there and expecting to see this thing at 7.46 in the morning. They're probably so, going to see okay, it. okay, so there's this one. Uh, this guy asked, with the Ardents and the Flame Spren, is something going on similar with... Kusakesh. Kusakesh? Is that what you said? I say Kusakesh. Kusakesh? That's just how Kusikesh? I say it, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> this is going to be the new from Starsight. Um, Brandon said only slightly. And then the guy replied, because he seems to be stuck in a cycle. And Brandon said, there is something there, but it's not as direct a connection as you might be making it. Hmm. Interesting. Perhaps um, a small point in my favor there. Let's see. It's so ambivalent, or ambiguous, though. <laughs> ambivalent? <laughs> uh, hmm. Dude, I'm not even a third of the way through my, my, my theory crafting points yet, man. Or just my miscellaneous points, I should say. Yeah, so I have a few more notes myself. Sure, let's hear um, it. Your turn. Uh, yeah. Uh, just one, one funny little bit. Uh, a particular line... Uh, from Teravangian talking with Yasna, and Yasna says, "You will be forgiven, uh -huh. the devoter you have chosen." And he goes, "Forgiven me." The elderly man seemed to find that amusing, and for a moment, Shalon thought she saw deep regret in his expression. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, this is not one of those moments where I'm really glad that you're the first one to bring up a particular word because dev uh, devotery—that's how you pronounce that word. Devotary, devotary. I, I'm not. All these years, I've been pronouncing it in my head as devotary. This yeah. is. This sounds like one of those heme allergy or whatever the hell it was I was saying on the on the Hero of Ages episodes that I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I was saying um, heme allergy. I think I was I saying heme allergy. Been heme allergy. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I, I have another one highlighted here. Uh, oh yeah. Shalon is in the palladium in the stacks, 
Palladium. The light flickering through nearby bookcases startled her, and she ducked away with her folio. It turned out to be just an old, barobed female ardent, shuffling with a lantern and followed by a parchment servant. Skipping to the end of the paragraph, lit that way, with her figure hidden but the light streaming between the shelves, it looked as if one of the her heralds themselves were walking through the stacks. Mm hmm. I know this exactly is, where you're going with this. This is either Batar or Pala, Palia. Uh, it's probably Dova the Ardent, whom uh, Terabangian believes is Batar. But it may be Palia, um, because so the of patron the connection with the heralds of the Palladium. orders of the Light Weavers and. God damn it! Oh, uh, um, else callers? No, no, not a light weavers. I, sorry, yeah, else callers for sure. Like Shalash is the light weavers. Yeah, sorry. What am I? <laughs> you can tell it's been a few years since I've done actual hard rereads of these particular points. Uh, but yeah, uh, almost certainly, that is a herald. Yeah, and we've we've got so, words of Brandon that we've seen almost all of the heralds in the books by these by this point. I think we heard that um, after Words of Radiance. I think. We've seen several of them in The Way of Kings, not almost all of them, though. No, okay. I thought it was like seven or eight is what I thought. Oh. But that I was mean, going I, into Oathbringer. I don't Oathbringer. even know that what was... search terms to look up. I would have to spend There's another one I have. That, but... in, in Words of Radiance, I think I've spotted another one of the Heralds, and I'll, I'll be getting to it there. Oh, of course, we're, we're, what am I talking about? We're in no, spoiler-free territory. For, let's save or that for spoiler. our first Words of Radiance episode, because I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about. Nope, um, you're not. If it's in the first part, then it's not what I'm talking about. But, you know what, I have enough to talk about as it is already. So my last one okay. is when Shalon and Yasna are talking about the Parshendi and Gavilar's interest, and they're talking about, like, oh, he must have been interested in shards. Yeah. And they're talking about the gem hearts and, and chasm fiends. And Yasna says, yes. you should have seen our shock when we discovered where they'd gotten them. When the Lancerin died off during the scouring of Aemia, oh. we thought we'd seen the last gem hearts of large size. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if this was a terminology change or if there's oh. a different... But, like, is this totally not Larkin? She's talking about the Larkin. No, Larkins are tiny, aren't they? Oh, uh, but they, they grow, presumably. Yeah, but they don't... I think... I thought they grow to like the size at maximum of like a cocker spaniel. I mean, Nail was holding one in his hand at one point. Of course, that could have been a grub for all I we think, know. But I think this is a reference to the Larkin. Either they go through some sort of like evolution and then they're called Lancerin, or <laughs> he changed the term from Lancerin to Larkin between yeah. Way of Kings and Words of Radiance. Yeah, I've got another theory about the Chasm Fiends I totally forgot to talk about, but I think we'll have more context to discuss that particular theory going forward. I don't need to talk about that particular theory right now, but that's a good, I mean, I'm going to be paying attention, but I, I in my headcanon, this whole time had assumed oh, that the go. Larkin were small. Here we go. Uh, there are two words of Brandon. One okay. of them, can a Larkin become a Lancerin? Ratho. <laughs> and are Larkin and Lancerin one and the same? And Brandon said, there's a little bit more than just being one and the same, but in some ways they are. 
Gonna pat okay. myself on the back right here. Oh, uh, yeah. I am giving you 99.9% <laughs> on that one. I mean, you can never be 100% with Brandon mm. Sanderson. But that sounds about as close as we're going to get without him actually saying, oh, yeah, dude, yeah. you're on it. I should have I looked up those words, Brandon, before bringing up the theory. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I yeah. still have, oh, boy, a lot to talk about here with my miscellaneous points, my theory crafting here. Um, TN, again, really quickly, just drawing to TN there. I want to note this little carving of the horse that he does and how Kaladin is so blown away by it. And I also want to point out that Kaladin has several very distinct mood changes for the better when when he's depressed and then Tien shows up or Tien's around him, like we see happening with Shallan in Words of Radiance. I'm not sure how much traction this theory has gained in the past few years since I was active on 17th Shard and other sites like that, but I'm thinking Tien has to be a proto-Lightweaver, and there has to be something about the relationship between Lightweavers and Windrunners that draws this kind of hope and brings Kaladin out of his worst of his depression. I think Tien has to be a proto-Lightweaver. He just it has to be, right? You are correct. That is confirmed by Brandon. That's confirmed by Brandon. Okay, so we have a development on it, at least. Yeah, he was okay, going sweet. to be a light weaver. Awesome. Awesome. Um, hmm, hmm. Uh, huh. Let's talk really quickly yeah. about cymatics, Drew. Okay. I don't need to theorize yet because we have, to my knowledge, literally no other information at all about this besides the odd coincidence that we see on Roshar with the shapes of the cities and the rock that surrounds them and that they were built upon. I accept there is something happening here and we'll have that mystery someday, but I'm not talking about that. I want to talk about cymatics because I am so sick and tired of seeing this shared on social media, my god. For anybody who spends enough time uh, in the Stormlight yeah. groups on Facebook, on Reddit, or whatever platform you choose, if you've been there for years, you're likely sick as I am of seeing these two things. If you're as much of a curmudgeon as I am, which... May not be the case. Any cool-looking weather pattern shared as, look, a high storm! Or, and of course, the or constant sharing popping. of videos of cymatics being a real thing. Look what I found! Remind you guys of anything? Some of us more seasoned and, and cynical, I'll say cynical members, have turned this into a drinking game. We drink, and by that I mean we just share shots of pictures and drinking, and we often tag one another. Sometimes Every time one I of drink. these... What's that? Sometimes I really drink. I'm not gonna... Well, here's the thing. If I'm drinking on one of those, it might be because I'm already drinking at that point. There was no, there was one time. Uh, I, I happen to be drinking a lot of the time. What's up? Uh, that I, it was like I had gotten home from a hockey game on, on like a Wednesday or a Thursday night, and I yeah I logged onto Facebook yeah you know, to check my you know admin notifications in the Stormlight Archive group, and the same exact storm video had been posted by two different people eleven minutes apart. <laughs> I remember that day. You sent it to me. And, you screenshotted it. And I pulled my phone out and got a bottle of Captain Morgan and poured myself a shot and, and did a video and posted the video in the group being like, all right, you know, so I just got home and I saw this storm video. And, and then I scrolled down and what do you know? The exact same storm video posted 11 minutes before. And I just like picked up the shot and I was like, Cheers, everybody, and like knocked it back. <laughs> I want to give a shout out right now, right now. Wow, to Danielle, 
I'm still screwing <laughs> up my words here. For one of the funniest goddamn comments I've ever seen in my life, when she posted in that group just a picture of a sky and like two wee little <laughs> yeah, puffs yeah. of cloud. Oh my god, that has to be the sassiest and clearest. I, I, that's the hardest I've laughed at an internet comment in 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 at least a year. Oh my gosh, that was good. Oh I think it's been more than a year since then, but still. Um, yeah, no. Uh, I, for those, for you know what? No, I'm gonna back up again and say this is the reason that the our group drew our group Cosmere theories exists exist in the first place. Yeah. I, I got so sick and tired of High Storm pictures and Cymatics videos and people being sticks that I just and, left. And pictures of Bridge 4. And, uh, yeah. 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 And, and also book requests. You know, you can't leave those out. Um, I, I, mean, I, I went and formed... I get less annoyed by those, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I went and formed my own group with blackjack and hookers. No, but really, like, a group that forbids anything but theories and questions. And I guess there's a shameless plug for that group while I'm, while I'm bitching about High Storm yeah, yeah. picks and, and Cymatics videos. If you're sick of creme posting, as I was, check out Cosmere Theories on Facebook. We have specific yeah. rules about what gets posted, just theories and discussions, questions about the books themselves. That's it. Yeah. So. It's good. It's a good group. Thank you. I have four points left, but I'll give you a chance to jump on and say anything else that would, that they that that may have shaken loose. My God, I can't no, no. speak. Okay. Uh, you're you're. Uh, I'm on a roll, here. dude. Okay, Ep uh, epigraph of chapter thirty-six. We get our first mention in the whole series of Dawn shards. Now, my working theory, having you know not read R Rhythm of War yet, obviously Drew has, but I'm you know whatever. I think myself that Dawn Shards are some sort of weapons that the vessels of each shard possessed or continue to possess, depending on if they're still alive or not. I think that's the staff that Odium is holding when he appears to Dalinar and Teravangian, separately, of course. I think that's the dagger that Laras is holding in Mistborn's secret history. This is what I think the Dawn Shards are, though why Tanavast would be at left at the end of Way of Kings saying... And without the Dawn Shards. Like, I don't know. I'm still working on this one. It doesn't seem to make sense there. <laughs> but that's my theory going forward. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction that we're going to find out a lot more about the Dawn Shards in the upcoming Stormlight novella titled Dawn Shard. Dawn Shard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we will. I think it'll just be one, maybe one crucial little detail. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, we'll going see. forward. We'll see. Another another something stupid. No, something so just so small. I almost didn't write it down, but I had to write it down because I was walking and I just I felt like pulling out my phone. We get a guy's point of view, and in that point of view, besides a, a few laughs at Kaladin's wit, we get what is, pardon me, par, uh, probably a meaningless detail. But this is Brandon Sanderson, ladies and gentlemen. So the odds are never zero that this is somehow significant or meaningful. It's it's probably not though. When Kaladin approaches Gaz. And I quote, he almost feels, actually I'm not directly quoting, this is just paraphrasing. He almost feels like he can see a flicker of movement or some such with his missing eye. How cool would it be if his missing eye was somehow able to glimpse Sill? Or maybe he has the ability, but while both of his eyes were functioning, it was just being overloaded with sensory information. Maybe he could see Sill or the edges of her figure, at, at least. I mean, I know we, we know Rock can outright see them. And we know the reason why. Maybe there's something involved here. 
That would be interesting. I always read it as just like him being paranoid, paranoid. and it's like got, creating like mental phantoms. But yeah, uh, that's a, yeah, that's maybe a, you're onto something there. Very, very likely there because I mean, a whole part of his viewpoint there is talking about how this the world for him is constantly like he has one eye closed and how he always feels like there's something in the darkness. There could be a bit of paranoia, you know. It absolutely, could be. Probably is. Probably is. Um, chapter okay. forty. Sorry, were you going to say, say something there? It sounded like you were going to start. No, I just said okay. Okay. Kaladin in chapter 40 is considering his miraculous survival. This is a different point entirely. And he's thinking about that miraculous survival and how it supposedly smelled of prophecy. I wrote down, it smelled of what now? I don't recall learning any more about formal prophecies at this point in the in the series being published. I mean, there's the death rattles, but those hardly count as official prophecies that everybody would be aware of. What is this prophecy he's talking about? Okay, chapter 40. I feel like I need to look up uh, that immediately so following smelled of prophecy. Smelled of prophecy are the three words that you'll be able to find it with. Not to mention it smelled of prophecy. If I can spell. Give me a second. Pretty sure he had just talked to Gaz, maybe? Oh, no, he's just talking about what he said before the high storm. When, when he was like, come out and look up and I'll open my eyes. He's saying, oh, like, oh that I thought was you're... dangerous. It, it, oh. it seems like I was predicting the future. Oh, okay. I, I had, for some reason, thought that this was, so, like, <laughs> Kaladin survival itself was was a little uncomfortably close to prophecy. Okay. No, because he says... Um, uh, they remembered what he'd said before the high storm. Looking yeah, back, yeah, okay. Something realized he'd been a little delirious and now seemed an incredibly arrogant proclamation, not to mention that it smelled of prophecy. Yeah, he's talking about what he said and, and how it could okay. be looked at as him Fair predicting enough. the future. Cool. I guess my last point, I have one point left now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a big sigh. And I'm going to say, Hello, Lopin. For those who don't know, and I imagine that's most, prepare for your jimmies to be rustled. But I absolutely loathe the Lopin. He's not bad yet, but I'll be complaining about him in the future. I just figured I'd give everybody who's listening, especially if you're giant fans of the Lopin, which I again, I imagine is by far the majority of, of, of listeners or, uh, and people who are reading these books, this is some due warning. If you really, really like the Lopin, you're going to be a little irritated with me for the next couple of books. But I, will, I promise I won't dwell on it for too much discussion. I mean, we just maybe a, a brief mention here or there, but we've already done so much discussing on the topic um, of what we like about yeah. and, and don't like about Sanderson's flavor of humor. Uh, you know, we have... The Reckoners trilogy we talked about, Skyward and its sequel, Starsight, with the Wheel of Time and, and Warbreaker, you know, Elantris. I just, I didn't, and I do want to say to Drew, particularly to you right now, I want to draw a point and say, I think I actually noticed at least twice so far in this part, with the audiobook at least, twice where the Lopin actually says the word sure to begin his sentences. I guess I just never noticed that myself before, but he actually has been doing that for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big stylistic thing that you and I have talked about for <laughs> Oathbringer, you know? Not, not yeah. talked about for an episode on Oathbringer yet. I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about 
particular comic relief characters and stuff. Yeah, like but the Lopin, hello. We move on, but Lopin. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> so and that's oh, it. Oh, that's... No, you know what? I have one more thing to point out. Okay, bring it, dude. With the Parshman who has been added to Bridge Four, Shed, okay. Relaine. I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. Kaladin actually describes him as looking slightly different from regular Parshman. He says he's a little taller and a little broader. Oh. I think this is a subtle nod to him just being in work form rather than dull form. Damn, that's... Holy crap. I mean, it makes complete sense. I just don't know how I managed not to have picked up on that previously. Yeah. Yeah. Nice catch. <laughs> well, I think uh, if that's the end of our... Notes, discussion, miscellaneous discussion. Shall we yep. head into the final draft? I'm good to do so, and I'll start us off because I'm, you know, once again taking a break from drinking alcohol for the moment. You know, giving my oh. liver its much-deserved rest. I actually... Oh, sorry, what am I saying? What am I saying? But uh, I wasn't drinking during the course of the podcast, but right before we started, I did have a sip, a sip of um, a whiskey called Writer's Tears. I've actually... Uh, Oh yeah, Fucking, yeah. You brought that. On I've talked about it before, but I mean, I haven't. I've haven't wetted my throat with anything. Wetted? That's not even the correct. No, I haven't wet my throat with anything but water really since we started. But yeah, writer's tears. I've talked about it before. It's a it's a damn good whiskey. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I still need to check it out. It. I've seen it on the shelves at a couple of stores out here. So. Yeah, very peaty. But well, I like that. Uh, I am drinking a beer. It is okay. a bourbon barrel-aged Russian Imperial Stout from Drake's Brewing Company, California. Uh, I, I believe I've brought on one beer from them before, maybe two. Um, I brought on one called The Void uh, during our Wheel of Time episodes. That was like a crazy, like 17%, you know, bourbon barrel-aged stout. Uh, this one is not quite that strong. It is 12.3%. Uh, Oh, is that all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very good. Uh, for a 12.3% beer, this is pretty easy drinking. It is not super boozy. Uh, really nicely balanced, like, woodiness with, with that, you know, kind of vanilla caramel flavor that you'll get out of a bourbon barrel-aged stout. And then, and then that molasses that you get from a, a usual Russian Imperial stout recipe. It's very nice, very drinkable. I mean, I had to slow down drinking it over the course of this episode because I was like, "Yeah, oh, I, I got to leave some for the final draft here." Um, but this this beer is for Kaladin, for the steps he's taking, and the person he's becoming. It is called Upward and Onward. Ooh, ooh! I swear to God, I've heard, I've seen, I've read that. In the liquor store. I swear to God, I've seen a, a, a draft. I mean, it, you onward. may have seen oh, no, a beer, you onward. definitely haven't seen this upward one. Upward and onward? Sorry, was it upward I, and I, onward? Uh, upward and onward, yeah. But no, this one was like a, just onward. a limited like brewery-only release, and I got it off of uh, Tavor, like the mail delivery beer service. Yeah, I'm starting to think it's just onward I've seen, actually. Yeah, I mean, I know there are a couple of other beers, because when I went to check this in on Untapped, there were a few other beers called Upward and Onward that popped up. Oh, okay. Um, so you may have seen one of those. Mm, uh, who knows? But yeah, yeah, <laughs> take this a look guy, next time. Yeah, I mean, this guy's a, a, a pretty beastly beer here. Very tasty. Um, but yeah, 
So I think that is a wrap for The Way of Kings Part 3. I agree. I'm, I'm proud of us. We managed to get this done in under an hour and a half. That was efficient, dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought our theory, I thought theory crafting itself was going to be an hour plus. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this has been, oh man, eight, I don't yeah, even know. 82? I, I want to say 82. 81. What? I, I'm pretty sure it's... Oh no, it is 81. It is 81. Oh my gosh. I should do this before every episode. We, we run into this issue every time. Um, but no, I, <laughs> I normally I have it in my intro. But... Kings part one, and that was 79, I believe. Yeah, that was so 79. I'm just, I, I can't, I can never remember. We're not counting House of Sticks was... as a regular episode, eh? Exactly. I was thinking of House of Sticks coming in there, but. Which uh... is coming out on Friday. Well, it'll already be out yeah. by the time people are listening to this. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, so this has been episode 79 of Inking Out Loud. Next up. Did you say uh, 79? Gonna... God damn it. <laughs> uh, it's okay. You know what episode you're listening to because you just heard it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This has been episode 81 of the Inking Out Loud This 12.3% beer is going down real easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, next up, we will be wrapping up The Way of Kings. We've been doing one part per episode so far, but we will be doing parts four and five and the last set of interludes uh, all in one episode. So keep an eye out for that next week. If you want to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. All of that money goes toward uh, Pat, our sound engineer, and Danny, our talented <coughs> artist, who makes these awesome thumbnails for the episodes. Uh, you know, we we really believe in paying creatives and paying freelancers for their work. We're not we're not all about that uh, like pay and exposure life. And so, uh, yeah, you know, we it comes out of our pockets to pay them and anything from patreon just you know helps to pay them more and uh yeah you know it it, it helps us keep this podcast running so as always i am your host drew mccaffrey with me is my co-host rob santos right here thanks for listening and we will catch you next time bye everyone <laughs>